Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Jesus steps out of the boat. And I want you to get this. Steps out of the boat with full confidence. Confidence. He's not afraid of that guy. And yes, let's, let's say if, if Matthew's account is correct, which it is, there were two, Jesus was not afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of their current condition. He wasn't afraid of their past. He wasn't afraid of any of that. He wasn't afraid of the scars and the wounds that they had self-inflicted upon themselves. He was not afraid of their story. He was not afraid of their sin. What an encouragement to us. Just like the man in today's message, Jesus isn't afraid of your story. Jesus loves you just as you are. He sees your past imperfections, scares, flaws, the real you. As Pastor James shares today, Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the restorer. Jesus is always with you, ready to help you get to the other side of the storms in your life. It can be a painful and scary process sometimes, but there's blessing upon blessing once you reach the shore, not only for you, but for someone else. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 5 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, or it's one of my all-time absolute favorite stories from the Gospels. So turn there, please. Chapter 5, verses, we'll be in verses 1 through 20. Context-wise, let me remind you, it's still nighttime. It's still nighttime. So you want to set the proper mood and the proper, you know, feeling of this story. Because we think like they pull up onto the shore and bright, beautiful sky, you know, clear, all that good stuff. And that's not the case. It was pitch black when the storm was happening on the lake, which makes it that much more terrifying. And then they show up to this region and there is a demon-possessed man. Matthew tells us there's two, but Mark and Luke focus in on one who's the predominant one. He is demon-possessed and he is charging at you in the middle of the night, screaming and yelling. That's the real scene. So any images you have of like beautiful bluebird conditions, you know, bright blue skies and all that, like Jesus and the disciples frolicking through flowery fields. And no, that's not it. It's pitch black. And there's a, there's a crazy man screaming and yelling and he's naked running right at us. Here's the story. Verse one, it says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. Oh, wait, Wait, Jesus says, what he says is going to happen actually happens. Wow, there you go. They arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. Now, there's some debate about this. Gerasenes, because three different words are used here. Um, and this is, I don't know why people do this, but because it, it's like Gerasenes or uh, Gergesenes or the three other ones, uh, three in totality that they use for this area. Now, one is like a, a city that's close by, but it's the major city. So it's like 30 miles away from where we're talking about. Um, and then there's one that Mark uses here, which is more of like the, clo- the more regional one. It's kind of closer, about six to eight miles from where they land. And then another one is used as well. And some people are like, see, there's, you know, you can't trust the Bible. Well, okay, so I'm in California and people ask, where you come from? I'm Galveston. Galveston, where's that? Texas. 
Yeah, we, we know Texas, Houston. Okay, I gotcha. I'm not from Houston. I don't live in Houston. Houston's 20-something miles that way. Or that way, I don't know. Um, it's out there. But I can use that as a reference point of like, no, I live in Galveston. I've, and I had to communicate. I had to clarify this with a bunch of pastors out there. I actually live on an island. An island? Texas has islands? Texas has islands. And I live on one of them. And I don't live in Houston, but you don't know where Galveston, Texas is, as mind-blowing as that is to me. Um, but what they do know is Houston. And that creates a reference point in their brains. That's what the disciples are doing here. So if you hear a different term, they're only using, depending on their audience, they're, they're using reference points to, to help people to understand it's this region. It's this region. So if you throw away your Bible because you're like, oh, I don't think this, this is in conflict with Matthew's account, you, you don't get it, right? It's like Mark is using like, he's like, we were specifically within this region, and everybody who was an audience or listening to this account would have known exactly like, I know where that's at. I know that region. That's where all those Gentiles live. That's where all those Jews who are rebellious live because they got pig farms. Yeah, that region. So if you hear, hear any conflict about that, then it's a simple matter. It really is a simple matter, okay? There's no conflict. There's no, you know, the Bible contradicting itself and all that. That's just nonsense. That's just so ridiculous to hear some of that stuff. And you're like, no, it's, we get it. They get to this region and Jesus steps out of the boat. Now, if we didn't have chapter four, you wouldn't think that there were any disciples with him because they become invisible in this story. Actually, I don't even know if they, I mean, technically end up getting out of the boat. I mean, maybe they did, where we assume that they did. But it says that this next verse says, when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit, he is demon possessed, came out from the tombs to meet him, right? So here's a scene. This, this is on the, on the side of the, the Sea of Galilee which on, on this eastern side, it actually has cliffs, okay? We wouldn't call them mountains, but they're pretty big cliffs, all right? And, and the, you could, if you go there, you can absolutely see where if a bunch of pigs ran down a steep hill into the water, I mean, you can see it. I've been at this place where they really strongly believe that this took place. I've been here. It's amazing. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But in these cliff sides, there are these tombs or these graveyards, so to speak, and in Jewish culture, to hang out in a graveyard, to live in a graveyard, to lay on graves and all that stuff, that makes you unclean. It makes you unclean. You don't do that. They had a lot of things that they, they, didn't, they didn't allow. Wandering around at nighttime, they're like, we don't do that. You know, living in graveyards and all that stuff, we don't do that. But here's this man, demon-possessed. He lives in the graveyard. He lives He's, he's surrounded by death. He himself has gotten to this point where we'll, we'll see it goes a little bit more in detail on, on who he is. But what, what we know about this man is society cannot contain him. They couldn't contain him. They couldn't constrain him. They couldn't control him. So what do they do? They isolate him. We can't control you. So now we're going we're gonna to shift you from away from our towns and villages, and you can now go live in the caves. You now go live in the, the graveyards because that's what's best for you. But more importantly, that's what's best for us. 
And so as Jesus shows up, the moment Jesus steps foot onto the shore, this guy pops out of the, the cave, so to speak, and he sees Jesus. And he already knows who he is. And he knows who he is because, well, the demons actually know who Jesus is. And they do a better job at identifying him than some Christians do, which is sad to say. They know who he is. Sometimes it, it's a really sad state when the demons have better theology than most of the church. It's, it's a really tragedy when demons have better, a better handle on theology, the study of God, than seminary pastors and seminary professors. Because believe it or not, there are lots of seminaries in our country that are filled with professors who don't even believe that this thing is true. They don't believe it's true. They don't believe Jesus is the son of God. These are conservative seminaries. Almost said cemeteries. Not much difference. Not much difference. You have pastors standing in pulpits today, today, who don't believe this book. They don't agree with even the the demon's account of who Jesus is in this story. Pastors, church leaders, and it's bigger than what you think. It's more widespread than what you think. You think maybe, oh yeah, maybe a handful here or there. No, no, no. That percentage is growing exponentially. Why are they there then? Well, oftentimes because they're celebrities. Oftentimes because they get probably a pretty decent paycheck. Oftentimes because they get book deals and TV deals and all this stuff. It's a career. It's not a calling. That's why. It's a very sad day when, when demons know who Jesus is. And people who claim to know who he is have no clue. They have no clue. But here's this guy. He comes out of the tombs to meet Jesus. Verse three says, this man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, this is the world's way of dealing with this guy. We can't, we'll we'll just keep locking them up. We'll keep locking them up. It's not working. It's not working. Put more chains on him. He's breaking all the chains. It's not working. He needs something more than constraint. He needs something more than what you have to offer to him. He's demon possessed. And they should have known this. They had their own exorcism rituals and all that good stuff. We can go into that, but this guy needed Jesus. He needed Jesus. And this wasn't like a mental illness because I hear that a lot. Like, well, these guys didn't really understand mental illness back in the day. And so, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let's go back to, I believe this thing is the absolute word of God. I believe it is in er- this, like there's no errors within this thing at all. And I believe Jesus is the great physician. And if Jesus labels somebody a demon-possessed person, he knows what mental illness is. He knows how to classify people. Are mental illness a real thing? Absolutely, people, absolutely. Not all demon possession is mental illness. Not all mental illness is demon possession. I think we know that. This dude is possessed by not a demon, but lots of demons. And his only hope is Jesus. 
he often was bound and, and chained and shackled. He says he snapped the chains from his wrist and smashed the shackles. He had superhuman strength, which is often the case in demon possession. Here's the other thing. I believe demon possession is a real thing. I believe it is. But here's the thing. I don't think we see a lot of that in America. I don't think we do. Now, I know that on the foreign mission fields and all that stuff, listen, it happens way more on the foreign mission fields than I believe it does within our states. I'm not saying it's not present here because it is present here, but it's not a tactic that Satan needs to use with Americans. We are so spiritually just distracted. So we could have a bunch of demon-possessed people and all that stuff. We're clueless for the most part. What is a good tactic is that of distraction and that of preoccupation. That's a good tactic by the enemy to get the church of America so distracted and not even just distracted, but maybe so self-absorbed that we have no clue of what's going on in the world around us. I, listen, I, I have no problem with social media for the most part but you need to understand it has its pitfalls. It can be a good tool, but it can also be, man, it can be a vice. An absolute, and we know this, and studies have shown this, and there are a lot of smart people, scientists, who are out there doing these, these studies on them, and when they start saying, like, listen, I just, I, I'm not on it anymore, that tells you something. Why? Because the enemy knows how our brains work. And he knows that, man, if I can just keep them attached to this one thing, and if I can keep them going back to this one thing, and then they get that dopamine hit because somebody liked something that they had, and then now, oh, now I got to post something else because I get more likes, and then, oh, no, I didn't get as many likes as I did the last time, and now my heart's broken because nobody loves me that much anymore. And then we keep coming back and keep coming back, keep coming back, and then hours upon hours upon hours oblivious to this or that. That's a good tactic by an enemy. If you're looking in war kind of scenarios, that's a great tactic by an enemy to keep your opposition so distracted from what's going on around them. It's easy. That's, that's, that's easy pickings there. So I got no problem with social media as long as it's used in its proper place. And you're the one using it, but it's not the one using you. You have a handle on it. It doesn't have a handle on you. So... I don't think we see a lot of this demon possession type stuff. It is present within our states. I know it's present within our states. I've had some encounters with this stuff. But I don't think it's a major tactic for the enemy concerning the Church of America because he's, he's doing so well in other areas. This guy, I mean, this, he's got this superhuman strength. Um, again, that's something if, uh, man, yeah. If you've ever been around somebody maybe who is possessed, what you can note is, and I've seen this time and time again, I mean, there's just like, I don't know what it is, but there's just this power, this strength that they have that is just crazy. I've seen teenage, I wasn't there to witness it, but we had a teenage boy who was a part of our youth ministry a little bit here and there, but get caught up in drugs and all this good stuff. And um, one day uh, he started assaulting his family and they had to call the police. And, and this is a teen, young teenage boy. I think he's like 14 or 15 at this point in time. They had like four fully grown men and they could not constrain this kid. Could not constrain him. And he had, 
and, and we knew. I'm like hearing the the parents talk about it, and uh, well, they were his caregivers, but talk about that of like, man, he just it was in in his scenario, it was through it was through drug abuse, and he opened himself up for it through drug abuse. It was it's crazy, but there's stories, lots of stories like that. We had some guy we had to, in in our church in Amarillo one time. We had to wrestle down in the in the little foyer entry area. We didn't have to wrestle them down, but some of our security guys and more police guys. And it took like four or five grown men just to barely restrain this guy. It's real, it happens. Should you be frightened of it and all that good stuff? No, not at all. No, not at all, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you don't walk around terrified of like, oh, I hope I never encounter a demon-possessed person. I hope you do. You're like, ah. <laughs> take it back, Pastor James. Well, well who's going to help set him free? That's somebody else's job. No, that might be your job. Maybe you made it through the storm to help set somebody free. I know the disciples who are basically invisible in the story are probably like, oh, no. Jesus, we're going to let you take this one. We're just going to sit here. I think we're going to take a nap now. Um, so, you know, we'll rest because it's dark and it's scary and this guy's screaming and yelling and he's running at us and he's naked. Okay, so we're going to, Jesus, you take this one. Um, we just want to watch. We'll take notes. Uh, we'll learn. No, we don't, we don't hear from these guys. But no, Jesus steps out of the boat. And I want you to get this. Steps out of the boat with full confidence. Confidence. He's not afraid of that guy. And yes, let's, let's say if, if Matthew's account is correct, which it is, there were two, Jesus was not afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of them. He wasn't afraid of their current condition. He wasn't afraid of their past. He wasn't afraid of any of that. He wasn't afraid of the scars and the wounds that they had self-inflicted upon themselves. He was not afraid of their story. He was not afraid of their sin. Not afraid. He stepped out of the boat with full confidence. You're why I came here. You're why I came here. He didn't come here for really any other reason. I mean, maybe to, you know, he, Jesus didn't even kill the pigs. I mean, some people got a problem with Jesus like, oh, he caused it. He didn't do that. The demons did that. But maybe he was there to help teach us. He came for these guys, for them. He showed up for them. Praise God, Jesus can go across the sea, endure a storm, to get to you and me, to get to you and me. This, it goes on, this, it says, he, no one was strong enough to subdue this guy. That's the end of verse four, verse five. Day and night, he wandered among the burial caves in the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. And we don't know if that's like to relieve the, the pressure of, of this condition he finds himself in, we don't know if that's the demon within him who pr- really is a destructive demon, okay? You, we need to know that. The, the, the demon or demons that occupy this man, they are a destructive force. They are in line with Satan who is real um, and he wants to s- still kill and destroy. That's his, mod, that's his, that's his, you know, that's his, his modus operandi. That's like what he's going for. So the cutting is more than likely the demon's messing with this dude because they want to destroy him. And there's, there's some notes here that this is almost like um, along the same lines as like suicide, attempts at suicide. Because maybe this guy's wanting to be free as well. But here's what's interesting. 
with all the cuts and the gashes and everything, they can't take his life. They can't take his life. We know from Job's account when Satan went and stood before God and said, and God was the one who initiated the conversation. He's like, hey, you seen Job down there? Yeah, these, man, Job's, Job's my guy. He's, he's, he's doing really well. Satan's like, he only, he only is devoted to you or worships you because you bless him. Take it all away. He'll curse you. God's like, all right, all right. Yeah, have at it. Uh, you just can't kill him. And we're all like, oh, that doesn't sit well with my theology. Um, I don't like that at all. Wait, God, you would, God's like, yeah, have at it. The only thing is you can't kill him. You can't take his life. And you know the whole story. If you don't, I'm sure one of these days we will venture into the book of Job. But I mean, everything was taken from him. His family, he was left with his wife who was like, curse God and die. (laughs) You're like, man, Job's like, man, you took my kids and you left me with her. Um, but he was miserable, covered in boils and his, his friends were like, dude, you're such a sinner. You're, you're, obviously you've done something wrong because God wouldn't be punishing you if you didn't do them wrong. He's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't. It's, God had a conversation with Satan about me and he allowed him to have access within my life, but he can't take your life. Satan, fallen angels and all that stuff, they can't take your life. Can they mess with you? Yeah. I'm sorry to tell you this, but yes, they can mess with you. Can they possess you? No, no. That notion is so silly to me. I don't know how that's a thing in churches. And here's why. Your body is the temple of God. The one who takes up residency within you is the Holy Spirit. The strong man has already booted out the weak man. And in in comparisons, it's God, the Father, the Son, who's Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit on a whole nother level than a created angel who has fallen. His name is Lucifer and a third of the hosts of heavens. They're not on the same level as, as this triune God that we worship. They're not even close. They were created by him. So Satan's not equally powerful with God. It's not Satan versus God and all this stuff. That's nonsense. That's not biblical. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That's something you need to hold on to. So you don't have to walk around with fear of like, man, I don't know, maybe I'm demon possessed. Well, you might be acting like that, but that doesn't mean that you are. Demon oppressed? Yes, I agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the more you serve the Lord Jesus, the bigger that target becomes on your back, okay? So if you're wondering like, man, I just wanna, I wanna press in, I wanna get, I just wanna serve the Lord more and I wanna get into, you know, reading my Bible more and more. Haven't you noted that when you do that, it becomes harder and harder to do those things? I have, I've been slacking off in my Bible reading. I wanna get more into that. When I do that, I get more and more distracted, it says, for Jesus had already uh, said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. So just so we see the scenario, Jesus is out on the shore. This guy is running towards him. He's screeching. He's yelling. He's screaming. He, he gets into the presence of Jesus and he falls down. He's like, Jesus, you, you can't be here. You're too early.
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.